Hey, hey, this is Mindful Mostly. It's a show for those of us who are mindful, you know, most of the time. It's about lifestyle, wellness, living your best life in the most down-to-earth way possible. Green smoothie one day, some chips and some wine the next. Sure, why not? That's what being mindful mostly is all about. I'm Andrea Collins. I have a question for you. What's your self-talk like these days? Are you being nice to yourself or not so much? My guess is you could use a bit of a pep talk in that department. We all can sometimes. And today, happiness expert Dr. Jillian Mandich is here to help us with tangible tips on how to be happier. After all, she has her PhD in happiness, pretty much, and uses the latest evidence-based health information and science to help people live happy, healthy lives. Also super excited because Jameson Vitamins is a huge part of today's show. They are constantly voted as one of Canada's most trusted brands of vitamins and have set themselves apart with industry-leading commitment and a 360 pure promise to provide consumers with the purest, safest, and most effective natural health solutions available. They're even True ID certified. This is what's really cool. They have an amazing campaign going on, which is all about connecting women through common experiences and stories while empowering them to own their health, which is why they're here on Mindful Mostly. And here's how it works. Every time you use the hashtag here for her health, Jameson Vitamins will donate 50 cents to the Canadian Women's Foundation, a nonprofit organization that helps women and girls move out of violence, out of poverty, and into confidence and leadership. Yes. Plus, keep an eye on the Mindful Mostly Instagram where you're going to have a chance to win supplements from the Jameson Women's Health Collection. The one I highly recommend is uh, one I've been using, the Jameson Women's Probiotic Complex. It's good for your gut, helping with intestinal and digestive health, while containing five specific probiotic strains that support optimal health. Keep your digestive tract in tip-top shape with one capsule a day. It's also True ID certified for ingredients authenticity. They got everything from multivitamins to collagen to hair supplements. Jameson has a whole host of products that got you covered. And go check out their website at jamesonvitamins.com. Use the discount code MINDFULMOSTLY and get 20% off your online purchase. Plus, coming up, I'm going to tell you how to win a very nice Jameson Vitamins prize pack. So there you go. Today is all about your body and your health Inside and out, we are taking a whole body approach on this show because that is what true health is. Let's talk to Dr. Jillian Mandich. Hi, I'm so glad you're here. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you today. This is just such an important topic right now because, you know, weird times have been going on over the past few months. And for a lot of people, it's it's weighing very heavily on us. For other people, we're looking at it as an opportunity to maybe reflect and do a little self-improvement spring cleaning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're all sort of navigating things in our own way. Exactly. So I, I want to talk about how, you know, our health, our physical Mm -hmm. health and 
our happiness, our mental health are so highly correlated because you've done so much research on this. Is it safe to say that if, if are, do happy people maybe live longer? Yes. Yeah, they do actually, Andrea. It's actually really interesting when you look in terms of the research and you compare happy people to unhappy people. Happy people, they live longer. And not only that, though, they have stronger immune systems. They heal faster from injury. They have lower rates of cardiovascular disease. Uh, they tend to make better nutritional choices, get better sleep. So really, when we think about happiness, it isn't just this thing that feels good. We actually see a lot of benefits for physical health as well. Wow. And, you know, yeah. it it's incredible when I hear that and it makes me feel even guilty when I'm being like just super negative one day, which we can mm -hmm. all definitely do. But um, why is it that sometimes, even though we know we should be trying to, you know, look at the world with rose colored glasses, we tend to be negative? How can we look past that negativity bias? Yeah, you know, um, the negativity bias, like essentially what that is, is it's our brain it's been wired and it's evolved through history to look for the bad. And it, it came from a good place because we used to have to like run away from predators and like look for immediate danger. But in our reality today, we don't have like a bear chasing us, but our brain is still wired to look for the bad. And so that's why if you got 10 compliments today and one person said one bad thing about you, like what are you thinking about when you put your head on the pillow at the end of the night? The one bad thing, right? Yeah. And so what we actually have to do is if we don't want to look for the bad and we want to start to look for the good, we actually have to do work to almost essentially like train our brain to do that. And what's really cool is that research shows that as we start to do that, it becomes more of a habit. And we eventually get to the point where we are looking for the good. Even like if you turn on the news and you watch a new segment and they're showing you, you know, say, for example, a, a scene in a hospital. And it looks, you know, doom and gloom and scary. You can look at that clip and see that. But if you're looking for the good, you're going to look at that exact same clip and you're going to see the frontline workers and the doctors and nurses that are working tirelessly at that time. So it's the exact same situation, but the way that we look at it shapes how we experience it and how it affects us as well. Now, you've probably done a lot of research on this. Do people's brains actually change when they're more positive? Like, is there a part of the inside of their brain, listen to my technical medical terms, <laughs> that, that I don't know, gets bigger? So there are different areas of the brain that when we start to use them, they start to become more active. And so, yeah, absolutely, especially on a neurological level, there are different areas of the brain that when we start to focus on the more positive things, we start to Essentially, we have these like neurons, they're, they're in our brain and they send signals and that's how they communicate. And so the more often that you use a neuron, then they start to become almost essentially like stronger. Like, and especially when they come together, the neurons that wire together, they fire together. So the more that you start to focus on the positive things, it's like you're patterning that behavior. It's similar to the idea if you want to learn a new skill. Um, like I'm learning knitting right now, for example. And at first it was like very awkward for me to, to knit and I was not very good at it. Um, but over time it gets easier because of practice. And essentially the same thing happens when we want to look for the good. Over time, it gets easier because it becomes more of a habit or more automatic as opposed to having to like put in all the requirements that we do when we're just learning. Something. Right. What are you knitting? 
Um, well, I was supposed to knit a scarf, which is like a straight line, but I don't know what happened. I started with 22 <laughs> loops and then I had like 50 loops. So I don't know how I was adding. So it's more like a circle. <laughs> I think I might change it into a tree skirt. <laughs> I love it. That's so good. Um, so like, how would you describe self-talk? Is this just us mm-hmm. saying like, go get them girl or don't listen to them? How would you describe it? Yeah, you know, your self-talk, especially when we think about this negativity bias, and if we all have that, like, how do we change it? And tuning into our self-talk is a great way to do that. So sometimes our self-talk is just how we're talking to ourselves. It's like the way we speak to ourselves in our head. So it's almost, if you were to take a microphone and put it in your brain, and it would announce what's going on in your brain, that's your self-talk. It's, so a lot of times, we tend to not talk very kindly to ourselves, right? Like if we think about sometimes the things that we think about ourselves, we would never say that to to the loved ones, for example, right? But yet we'll say it to ourselves. And so when we look at ways that we can start to be more positive or look for the good or or start to shift our thinking, tuning into our self-talk and noticing what is going on can be a great opportunity to start to be kinder to ourselves and be more compassionate to ourselves. And it it matters even when somebody is going through a difficult time, like there was a research study done um, where people were going through divorce. And if they were more compassionate to themselves in terms of how they spoke to themselves, they were more resilient and were able to recover quicker after the divorce as compared to people that were not kind and compassionate to themselves, that their self-talk was more negative. Um, They weren't able to see the same level of resilience going through a difficult time like a divorce. So it does matter more than just, you know, saying nice things in your head. It really does have an impact on how we experience things, how we build resilience, how we cultivate um, sort of a more kind, compassionate attitude towards ourselves. And then that can be extrapolated into how we talk to other people, too. Well, even sometimes I see myself like I'll get really worked up about something one day that might not bother me as much the next mm-hmm. day. And I think to myself, like, maybe I was really tired or maybe I was stressed about something else. And so my self-talk, it wasn't as like ready to help me out. You know, some days mm-hmm. it's, it, it flows to you more easily, but I think that's really interesting. So what are, like, how, how do we catch ourselves? How do we know if we're good at it or not? Can we have, yeah. some, what would you say? Yeah. So um, a couple things. One, uh, step one, I sort of have a three-step process that I like to follow. I like steps. I like to map it out. So step number one is really tuning in and starting to notice what you're saying to yourself. Because if we want to change any behavior or we want to improve or stop doing something, step number one is we have to know what we're doing, right? We need awareness. So it really is step one is just listening to what you're saying, noticing if your self-talk is more positive and negative. And a lot of times we'll see things like there's some sort of common patterns that we see with negative self-talk. So say for example, personalizing things, which is where you always blame yourself when things go wrong. So anytime it happens, oh, it's all my fault, right? Or Mm -hmm. catastrophizing, which is where we like always expect the worst. Anytime you get some news or something, you always think it's going to be the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, Another common one is, is what we call polarizing, which is, where you see things like only as good or as bad, like there's, there's no middle ground. So you're either absolutely perfect or you're a total and complete failure. So there's mm-hmm. sort of such extremes. And then um, a last one that we see really commonly is this, um, what we call magnifying, which is where you, it's this is kind of like the negativity bias that we talked about in action. So what it does is it, it takes the negative or the bad parts and it like 
expands them, it blows them up, puts a magnifying glass on it. And then it also, not only does it do that, it filters out or negates or ignores or dismisses like the good or the positive. So these are kind of some of the patterns that we see a lot. And if you tune in, if you're listening right now and you tune into your self-talk, you may notice that sometimes you do one or two or three or all of them. And that's completely normal. Um, so step number one is just that. It's just starting to notice. Like, how do you talk to yourself? And then step two, and this is where the work comes in, um, but it's also the exciting part because you get to challenge your self-talk. So when you start to notice that your self-talk isn't kind, isn't compassionate, isn't being nice to yourself, instead of judging what you're thinking or being hard on yourself for doing that, trying to ask yourself questions, getting curious, what, like asking, you know, why am I thinking this? Is this based on facts? Is this accurate? Why do I believe this? So it's really just about starting to question what it is you're thinking. And then finally, step three is where we start to change our self-talk. So this is where we start to retrain our brain. This is where we talked about how we can pattern different behaviors in our brain. What we do is when we start to notice negative self-talk, we, we stop it and we think of something else. And it kind of sounds weird to say, um, but we start to shift it. So instead of like, say, for example, you messed up something at work, instead of if you notice that you're starting to tell yourself, you know, like I'm such a loser, I'm a total failure, switching it and saying, you know what, I, I didn't do the best job that I would have liked to, um, but now I know more and next time I can do better. You know, just simple things like that. I know they sound simple, but really when we start to do this, it does have a really profound impact on, on how we live our life because we're kinder to ourselves. What's that term? Like, it's like duck on a water's back, like let it roll off or, you know, can't remember what it is exactly, but. Oh, I know what you're thinking. I always say Teflon, not Velcro. Nice. Yeah. So it's the same. I know there's a saying that you're like, what you have, but that's how I always think of it, right? Think Teflon, not Velcro. Let it go. Roll off your back. Take what, take what is constructive or good or things like that, but leave the rest. You don't need to hold on to that. And especially right now, where you know we're feeling stressed and anxious how we don't want to add to that pile so anything we can do to not have to take on more stress or more difficult things right we just need to let them go and i think gratitude is that's why we hear so much about gratitude these days and people mm -hmm. journaling what they're grateful for right because that would probably also be a workout for that positive self-talk muscle that's exactly it. Absolutely. And gratitude and happiness are, are highly, highly correlated. Um, so when people tend to be grateful, they tend to be happier as well. And uh, actually, so um, for my PhD work, um, I did my PhD at Western. What I did for my study was I showed um, undergraduate students videos every week that taught them skills to boost their happiness. And when I asked at the end, you know, questions about what they liked, what they didn't like, by far the number one, the most impactful and favorite thing that the students learned was about gratitude. Wow. It was really about um, seeing and understanding what gratitude is and learning how to incorporate it into your life and knowing that it isn't, it really, the benefits go so beyond the just taking two minutes to think about things or write down things that you're grateful for. Um, so yeah, gratitude is a really powerful tool to boost happiness. Now, you're such a happiness expert and have done really incredible research on it. What are some happiness myths that a lot of us, you know, fall victim to? Yeah, you know, you know, myself included, like, I, I've got to be honest, when I first started studying happiness, I was really intrigued about it because of the correlation with health, but also on a personal level, like I started to think about, you know, am I as happy as I want to be? And I thought, you know what, I'm not. 
And so I wanted to kind of go into this and figure out how do I be happy all the time? Like I really thought when I started researching happiness that I was going to figure out how I could be happy all the time because I didn't want to feel some of the more challenging emotions, right? Things like I didn't want to feel sad or anxious or depressed or, or frustrated. I want to just be happy all the time. And I was actually quickly um, learned and was surprised to learn that the goal isn't happiness all the time. We really need sort of this range of emotion when we look at healthy psychological functioning. And where the science of happiness comes in is that what happens is when you start to build essentially like your happiness muscles, there's a big piece of our happiness, almost total, a half of our total capacity for happiness that's within our control, that is based on our own thoughts, our actions, and our behaviors. And so when we start to cultivate that muscle, what happens is our highs get higher and our lows get higher. So you mm. see this uptrend of emotion as opposed to eliminating them. That, that isn't the case. But what happens is we cultivate resilience. We sort of turn up the volume so that everything gets turned up. But it really isn't about not having those emotions. And I mean, I started thinking about it and I reflected, I was like, you know what, there have been very difficult times in my life. Like I was divorced a few years ago and it was very difficult. And yet I wouldn't take that time back because it really helped me to, you know, get more in touch with myself. And I learned so much about myself and what I was capable of through that process. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times we think about in our own life, and if you're listening right now, like thinking about what are some of those challenging or difficult times? And those are where a lot of growth and learning happens too. So really it isn't about the myth, you know, being happy all the time is not the case. It really is about learning how do you prioritize positivity? How do you have more moments of joy? Um, and then also accept that we are going to have difficult and challenging times. And when we do, it's about feeling the emotions fully and not marinating in them for an extended period of time. Hmm. How would you mm-hmm. do that if someone dumps you? Uh, you know, <laughs> eat ice cream, binge yeah. watch some, like, <laughs> some dirty dancing on Netflix, yeah. and then have a good cry, right? And then do that for a little bit. But then you got to start. Like, I remember even when I first got divorced, I didn't want to do anything. And I would literally force myself to go to yoga because I, I knew that yoga would make me feel good. And I did not want to go. And it, at the beginning, it was like, I was forcing myself. And then slowly over time, right, things start to change. And, and that's the thing is a lot of times we have to put in the work. And even with happiness, happiness isn't just a passive thing that happens to us. If we want to truly cultivate more happiness in our life, we have to work at it. It's something that requires effort and something that will happen for our entire life because another myth of happiness is actually that it's a destination, right? We think like, I will be happy when, fill in the blank, when I get this car or when I get this partner, when I have this amount of kids, when I have X amount of dollars in the bank, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. we think that when we arrive at that, we will be happy. But in terms of the research, what we know is that happiness is not a destination. We don't just arrive at it. It's a practice. It's something that we work at every day. And just like if you want to go into the gym and get strong, you have to go and lift weights and move your body. Um, Or maybe, you know, whatever it is, you have to build the muscle. It's the same with happiness. You have to do things like practicing gratitude, things that actually build our happiness muscle in order to, to cultivate more happiness. Oh, I see that in my grandfather who he's he's since passed away, but he had lost his vision. He mm. wasn't very mobile, but he was the most positive human. You would mm. he was always 
you'd ask him how his day was and he always had good things to say and he always Mm -hmm. led with the good. I never heard him complain once. He lived till he Mm. was 98 years old, a full life. And I just, some people, you look at them and you think like, wow, like you could be complaining about so many things and you're such, you're such a role model because you're not, you're Mm -hmm. spewing positivity and it's beautiful when you see that in action. It is. And it's attractive, right? We are drawn to that naturally, right? But if you think about who you like to spend time with, spending time with people like that energizes us and it lifts us up. And and what's really cool is actually our happiness spreads three degrees from us. So this is research out of Harvard, where when you are happy, the people that you meet are touched by that, but then also the people that they meet. So I think it's, I mean, that's another myth of happiness too, is that I I often will have someone, um, oftentimes it's women, um, but not always, um, will say, you know, I have to focus on my kids or, you know, I want to put other people first. I'm the caregiver of the home. Um, And so I want to focus on everybody else before I focus on my own happiness. Mm -hmm. And what research teaches us is that it's actually the exact opposite. So focusing on your happiness is one of the most selfless things that we can do. Um, because when again, when you compare happy people to unhappy people, happy people are more cooperative, they're better problem solvers, they're better team players, they're more altruistic, they're more likely to volunteer both their time and their money. They're, um, they tend to have longer and more fulfilling marriages, they're rated as better life, they tend to have more friends. So really, when we focus on our happiness, it not only has a positive impact on our physical health, like we talked about earlier, but also on our emotional health and how we relate to other people and how our relationships are formed and strengthened um, as well. Isn't that cool? How how true is that though? You always think like, Mm -hmm. I will be, let's say you're in a relationship and you and your partner are arguing a lot. You, You always probably think like, I will be happy when he starts to act a certain way. Whereas if this could be hard in certain situations if you feel like you're, you know, the one, not the one who should be fixing the situation. But if we can all just try to have a little bit more fun and be a little bit more positive, then it, it we see that reflected um, right back at us, right? We, we, it's contagious. Yeah, it really is. You know, I'm listening to Michelle Obama's book on Audible right now. Yeah. And, uh, and a part that I heard this morning, she was talking about how um, they went to marriage counseling and they were both sort of trying to see things, they were lawyers, they were both trying to see things through their lawyer lens. And what they realized their big aha was in order to start focusing on the marriage, they also had to focus on themselves. And then Michelle Obama, for example, she uh, realized she had lost fitness and exercise and she had completely lost that routine once having kids. And so she started focusing on her own stuff and he did as well. And that really changed the relationship. And, and it's absolutely true, like especially with happiness, you know, when people always say, like, I'm looking for my other half, right? Or that, like, Jerry Maguire, you complete me idea. Mm-hmm. It's, instead, if we can focus on filling up our own cup first, and we can realize that we are whole and complete people, and nobody is ever going to make us happy, we have to cultivate that within ourselves. And somebody can compliment it, somebody can bring happiness into our life, but recognizing and giving our power to something or someone other than ourselves and putting our happiness there is a really scary place to be because then it's not in our control. And we know from from all the research that focusing on the things that we can control is a very powerful practice in terms of impacting our thoughts. And when we can recognize the areas that we can control are things like our thoughts, our actions, and our behaviors. We know that when we do that, you can actually have the most profound impact 
on your happiness. Wow. It's, it's truly, it's truly incredible. I, 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 my neighborhood, some things drive me crazy about my neighborhood and we just got new neighbors and I saw them yesterday coming into their new house. So excited. And they were like, we just love this neighborhood. We're so happy about it. And I just wished I could like switch perspectives for a second. And Mm -hmm. I'm actually excited to not rain on their parade, but soak up their enthusiasm like a sponge because I look at their happiness and I'm like, oh, see, I'm in this like weird negativity spiral. I've got to get out of it. Yeah. And you know what's happening there is this concept called hedonic adaptation. Um, so what it teaches us is that we get used to what we have. So think about even like if you get a new car or a new outfit or new, whatever it is, you're so excited the day that you have it, but then over time, it's not as exciting anymore because we're adaptive creatures. And so, um, there's actually a really cool study done with lottery winners. Um, and they, they measured the happiness of people when they won the lottery, which not surprisingly, we saw a huge spike. The researchers saw a huge spike in their, ha- in their happiness when they won the lottery. So then they followed those people for six months. And they saw over the six months, their happiness started to decline. Because the day you win the lottery, you're much happier than it's not like the three months later, you're waking up in the morning being like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I won the lottery, right? Mm-hmm. And in the same study, they took a second group of people, the people that had not won the lottery. And they taught them how to practice gratitude. So every day they would um, write down three things that they were grateful for. And at the end of the study, so after six months, the people that practiced gratitude were statistically significantly happier than the people that won the lottery. And their happiness kept going up because there's a cumulative effect. So when we think about, like I touched on earlier, like there's things that we can control, there's things that we can't. We can't control if we win the lottery, but we can control if we take two minutes every day to think about things that we're grateful for. And when we do that, we can actually be happier than if we won the lottery. And we don't adapt to gratitude in the same way that we do the lottery. And if you are listening right now and you do practice gratitude, a couple tips um, to really amplify your gratitude practice, um, mix it up, like I talked about, so that we don't get used to it. So asking different questions. So maybe who are people in my life that I'm grateful for? What are body parts I'm grateful for? What are things that I've learned that I'm grateful for? Just mixing up the questions from time to time, getting really specific and detailed. It's another big one. And then also trying to involve as many of your senses as you can in the experience. Um, It makes it more sort of visceral for your body, but it can tend to um, really help to make the gratitude practice more profound. Wow. I feel like we won the lottery of fantastic advice today. This has been an eye-opening conversation and I think a good reminder to all of us that even if we think we're being positive, we still have some ways to go. And I can guarantee that almost all of us listening suffer from that big, shiny life event syndrome where it's like, Mm -hmm. if I lose this 10 pounds, I will be happier. If I meet the right guy, I will be happier. And I think that's so important to remember that Happiness lies in the day-to-day. And thank you for reminding us all. Honestly, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You know, for me, I I love being able to do the research and read the research and then be able to share it in a way so we can actually make our lives better. And, you know, happiness isn't just a feel-good thing. It really is something that has a big impact on our health, on our happiness, on our physical health and our mental health. So thank you so much for allowing me to come on and, and uh, talk to you today. It's been really, really fun. It's made me happy. How, how can people uh, find out more about you, read more of your stuff, get to know you, work with you? Uh, so my website is a great hub for all things um, 
So that's my name, it's Jillian Mandich, and it's Jillian with a G. So it's G-I-L-L-I-A-N-M-A-N-D-I-C-H. And all of everything I'm up to, all of my info is there. And then if you're social, I love social media and my handle is at Jillian Mandich, same thing. And, uh, and we can uh, continue the conversation there. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jillian. Thank you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So much good stuff in that conversation. I feel like there were a lot of things said there that really resonated with me. And it's so good to just have a reminder like that, that you can be as happy as you choose to be. Thank you so much again to Dr. Jillian Mandich. She is amazing. And thank you to Jameson Vitamins, who want you to feel your best self from the inside out too. If you head to Mindful Mostly on Instagram, you can enter to win an amazing prize pack. So keep your eye out for that. Just a hint, it's uh, the Women's Health Line, a whole bunch of goodies from there, and a customized tote bag. Oh yeah, baby. You can look at the show notes for more information as well. There will be three lucky Mindful Mostly winners. And remember, from now until July 31st, every time the Jameson campaign hashtag here for her health is used, 50 cents will be donated to the Canadian Women's Foundation. You can connect with Jameson online at Jameson Canada on Instagram. And I will talk to you next time right here on Mindful Mostly.